that are engineered as undetectable, indecipherable, cloaked in rhetoric that aims to misdirect, obfuscate, and just downright bamboozle all of us all the time. Connecting them. Don't be evil. Connecting them. Humanity. Don't be evil. Humanity. Humanity. It's about empowerment of the individual. The future is private. What really happens with your Facebook photos? Why are there hidden microphones in Google Nest? And Pokemon Go exposed as child molesters? In this episode of Backlight, Shoshana Zuboff reveals how Silicon Valley deceives us so well. This comes into play when I buy a pair of shoes on the internet. Well, you know, some people will say to me, but Professor Zuboff, I, I like those targeted ads. They're, they're so useful. Or I enjoy personalized services. Sometimes people will say, uh, you know, I have nothing to hide. So I, I don't care what they take. Each one of these statements is a profound misconception of what's really going on. We think that the only personal information they have about us is what we've given them. And we think we can exert some control over what we give them. And therefore, we think that our calculation, our trade-off here, is, is something that is, is somehow under our control, that we understand it. What's really happening is that we provide personal information, but the information that we provide is the least important part of the information that they collect about us. Thanks to their navigation and search engine, Google knows where we are all the time and what we think. Facebook knows our hobbies, preferences and friends because they retrieve a lot of information from the digital traces we leave behind unwittingly. Spelling errors in your search terms, which color buttons you prefer, how fast you type, how fast you drive. Residual data. Way back at the beginning, back in the year 2000, 2001, 2002, back in those days, these data were considered just extra data. They were considered waste material. And people called them things like digital exhaust or, or data exhaust. Eventually, it was understood that these so-called waste materials harbored these rich predictive data. The search information we retain, we do for quality purposes. So for example, the Google spell checker, our did you mean feature that appears on Google, has been built using long periods of, of data around you know, someone issuing a query and then issuing another corrected query right after that and us learning those corrections. And it actually takes more than 30 days worth of data to build the world-class spell corrector that we have. The companies like to say, we collect data so that we can improve our service. And that's true. They collect data, and some of it is used to improve the service to you. 
but even more of it is analyzed to train what they call models, patterns of human behavior. So once I have big training models, I can see how people with these characteristics typically behave over time. And that allows me to fit your data right into that arc and to predict what you're likely to do, not only now, but soon and later. This is what I call behavioral surplus. These data streams filled with these rich predictive data. Why surplus? Because right from the start, these were more data than was required to improve products and services. Once you have the behavioral surplus, the comprehensive behavioral data of hundreds of millions of people, you can start predicting the preferences of specific groups. Think popular shoes for male managers, or the preferred restaurant of a group of people sharing the same zip code. Maybe they do a prediction of where I have dinner tonight, or how can I imagine what they will predict about me? Well, you know, at the simplest level, they may predict uh, the kind of food you're in the mood for right now, and, uh, and then sell that prediction, auction that prediction to their business customers in the, in the restaurant business, who will then send you a very quick ad. We know you're in the mood for a delicious pasta dish tonight. We can invite you to our restaurant, and here's a discount coupon. There are some people who are saying, well, it's very improbable that those targeted ads really can achieve something because people have their own will and they will not buy some shoes just because there is an ad in front of them. You know, I think one of the, um, one of the misconceptions that it's really important for us to move away from is that Surveillance capitalism is something that is only manifest in our lives when we're online. Or somehow it's only restricted to online targeted advertising. It's easy for us to say, oh, these, these things don't affect me. The fact is, this is being conducted at a layer that is not accessible to us. We have no idea what today's algorithms can predict about us, or what behavioral data they use to do it. A simple thing like buying a certain kind of shampoo can divulge essential information about us. For example, the New York Times reported a case of a supermarket chain that knew a girl was pregnant even before she did, or was prepared to share the news. The market's algorithms discovered that the girl switched from fragrant shampoos to more neutral smelling products. Since the olfactory senses of pregnant women become stronger, the market algorithm assumed this girl must be pregnant. Her father didn't know, until he was repeatedly sent special offers for baby products. Thanks to the analysis of trillions of terabytes of behavioral data that we unwittingly leave around the digital domain, Big tech sometimes knows us better than we know ourselves. They can predict things like our personality, our emotions, our sexual orientation, our political orientation, 
a whole range of things that we never ever intended to disclose. The predictive value that big tech can glean from residual data is huge. The family photos we post on our Facebook pages contain residual data from which vast amounts of valuable knowledge can be distilled. Let's say I put my uh, children's birthday party photo album on the web, on the Facebook pages. What we don't understand is that the most important thing there are not the photos per se. It's the predictive signals that these companies can lift from the photos. It's not just my face, but it's allowing them to have the face so that they can analyze the hundreds of muscles in my face. Uploading innocent snapshots on your Facebook page can have unforeseen consequences. Our faces, for example, are used to train algorithms to recognize facial features. And we have absolutely no idea what that facial recognition software is used for. These data streams with these rich predictive signals are fed into the new factories, the computational factories, analyzed for predictions of human behavior. And these predictions are then sold. Who are they sold to? They're not sold to us. We are not the customers. They're sold to businesses, to business customers who want to maximize our value to their business, whatever it may be. They use information from our faces, which we've given billions and billions of photos to Facebook to train models for facial recognition. Those models are then sold to military operations, some, some of them in China. And those Chinese operations do many things, including imprisoning the Uyghur, uh, a subset of the, of the Uyghur Muslim pop population in China in what is uh, rightly regarded as an open air prison where they actually don't have to have people behind bars because they track and follow them constantly through facial recognition. The knowledge obtained from our residual data can be sold to anyone. Facial recognition software, for instance, might be sold to a Chinese company that supports the oppression of the Uyghurs in China or that helps track down advocates of democracy in Hong Kong. That way, our precious family photos might be used by Facebook to facilitate authoritarian regimes. And our privacy is guaranteed. Because it's not our faces that are sold, it's the residual data scraped off them. It's very difficult to have a concept of this for a, for a very good reason. It's not because we're stupid. It's because these processes have been disguised. They operate in stealth. They have been engineered to be indecipherable, to be undetectable, to create ignorance in a vast group of all of us that they call users. Our ignorance is their bliss. There are some things that have broken through into the public view that we do know about. So let's talk about Facebook's 
massive scale contagion experiments. And this is where Facebook experimented with subliminal cues planted in its Facebook pages that would actually influence offline, real world behavior and emotions to see if they could make people feel happier or sadder using subliminal cues with language manipulation and word manipulation and so on. Well, when the experimenters wrote up this work in the very prestigious scholarly journals that, that published the results of these experiments, they emphasized two key findings. Number one, we now know that we can manipulate subliminal cues in the online context to change real world behavior or real world emotion. We know that we can be successful at doing this. Number two, we can exercise this power, these methods, while bypassing user awareness. Een grote groep Pokémon Go-spelers heeft met elkaar afgesproken in Leeuwarden. Samen gaan ze de stad door om zoveel mogelijk Pokémon te vangen. Alleen in Nederland al spelen ruim 1,3 miljoen mensen het spel. Een heel interessant experiment gebeurt in de guise van een augmented reality game called Pokémon Go. In het spel loop je rond in de echte wereld. Op allerlei plekken zitten Pokémon verstopt. Je moet er dus naartoe gaan om ze te verzamelen. What are we not seeing when Pokemon Go is introduced in our country? It's important to understand that Pokemon Go is an augmented reality game that was incubated, developed inside Google for many years. Google being the first pioneer of surveillance capitalism, the inventor of surveillance capitalism. It was invented, Pokemon Go was invented in Google, incubated there for many years, developed there, uh, led by a man named John Hankey. And John Hankey invented uh, an operation called Keyhole, which was invested in by the CIA and later purchased by Google and called Google Earth. Google Earth was a CIA startup initially? Yes, Google Earth was something called Keyhole and it was a CIA invested uh, startup. So it's important to understand that Pokemon Go was not some happy little game that just got launched into the world by a toy company or something. When they decided to bring Pokemon Go to the public, they didn't want to bring it as a Google game. They brought it to market as Niantic Labs, which no one had ever heard of. Just a cool startup with this cool game. So now we have this Google augmented reality game, and it turns out that the big game that is on top of the little game that the children are playing is a game that precisely emulates the logic of surveillance capital capitalism. So in surveillance capitalism, in the original version online, um, we predict the click-through rate and we sell the click-through rate to the advertiser who pays to get clicks on, on, their, on their website, clicking through ultimately to the buy button. That's what they're hoping for. 
Now, in the real world, business customers paid Niantic Labs, the Pokemon Go company, paid Niantic Labs not for click-through, but for the real-world equivalent of click-through, which is called footfall. To actually get real bodies with their real feet into real business establishments so that their feet would go fall, 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 tap, tap, tap across the store or across the restaurant or across the bar in order to buy something. So I could order by Niantic Labs a Pokemon in my ice cream parlor, for instance. All of these establishments, they're buying what are called, here's the term, lure modules. Modules like a gym that lure people to you. Not so that they will come and be happy, but so they will come and spend money in your shop or your restaurant. Starbucks, McDonald's, everybody was making money. Everybody was making money. Niantic Labs was making money and all these businesses were making money. And the people playing the game had no idea. So they used the rewards and punishment of the game to herd you through the city to the places that were paying for your body. This was the game of Pokemon Go. This was the real game, the shadow game, getting you into a place where we have predicted that you will be so that our predictions are worth more. If I can guarantee you're actually going to be there, my prediction that you're going to be there is worth a lot more. Economies of action are how I guarantee that. And Pokemon Go was a large-scale experiment, a global-scale experiment in economies of action using remote control means to automate behavior, to engineer behavior, to fulfill others' commercial ends while you are having a great time. to be in the feeling of being served. You are intended to be saturated with convenience so that you will not notice and you will not complain. And all of this shadow operation will remain hidden because you will not ask questions because you're so busy being entertained. So it's no longer enough to just have what you're doing online, you're browsing, you're sending messages, you're sending emails. We want to know about your walk in the park. We want to know about what you're doing in your car. We want to know about your home and what you're doing in your home. What if home security was different? What if it looked different? system some bright engineering oriented person discovered that the nest security system 
has a microphone built into it. That microphone does not figure in any schematic. When you buy the security system and it has the piece of paper that you unfold and the schematic or you go online to learn about it and there's a schematic, it does not show a microphone. It does not discuss a microphone. Now, why would you have a microphone there? Well, remember, what is our business? Our business depends upon extraction of behavioral surplus, scale, scope, and action. So what better device to extract behavioral surplus, especially new forms, voices, conversations, what you're watching on television, what, you're listen what music you're listening to, who's coming in and out of your house, whether or not you all, you're, you're shouting at each other over the breakfast table. All of this has tremendous predictive value. Voices are what everybody's after, just like they're after faces. So now this becomes public. There's a, hey, Google, what's up with this microphone in your security system? What does Google say? Oops, so sorry. Oh, we didn't even know there was a microphone there. Oh, sorry, sorry. Why? Somebody put that microphone there, but we never intended to use it. Yeah, right. This is their business. To obfuscate, to misdirect, to engineer our ignorance with mechanisms and methods that are undetectable and indecipherable. And if they confront you, deny it. Deny it for as long as possible until they habituate. If there's some element that fails to get habituated, then create an adaptation. All right, we'll make sure all those microphones are, uh, are, are somehow um, you know, shut off so that they can't be used. And then wait a minute, and once no one, when no one is looking, redirect it. So there will be a microphone in something else. There will be a microphone in the, uh, you know, in the home device or in the uh, music player or whatever it might be. It will be back. Wow. What if the measure of it? That's a lot. That's a lot. And for you to um, watch the entire documentary, just click the link underneath this episode and you can sit there and just watch how things are happening you guys right underneath our nose um right now they're keeping america distracted with the coronavirus and the president election but as you see the supreme court they're finalizing on decisions that's just been sitting there all this other information is happening out the country in australia india china hong kong um you just hey I'm going to feed it to you. I may not be visibly on live, which I will be as soon as I finish this, this chapter, because we're going to go into generational matters, purify the bloodline. I'm keep speaking it out there and it's going to come. And the father's giving me more and more and more ammunition. So you can have your artillery and the bullets to fill it, to shoot the devil right in his head, shoot him dead. When we get through with, when we get into this series, 
So right now, uh, I see God just have me just looking at some things. Uh, Technology-wise, meaning the surveillance, I mean the surveillance that's going on. uh, uh, The network and the technology, because this right now with the 5G, this it, this, this is it. All of this is coming together, and before you know it, you're going to have a boom shakalaka moment. Well, oh, wow, how did they do that? Well, it ain't, it's not how did they do it. They've been was doing it. It just so happens that it's coming, you know, right before us, so you can see it in the natural. But it's been going on because I'm just seeing some stuff. I'm like, whoa, what is this here? And, you know, it's like they gradually feeding us baby formula. You know, and then before you know it, they're going to be shoving you this big steak down your throat and you can't even swallow it. Because, wait a minute, I'm still trying to, you know, like me. I'm I'm like, my daughter said, oh, my, they got this app. They said, well, hold on. Wait, I'm just getting used to Facebook. Flipping to Instagram and then Twitter. Now y'all saying there's another app? Oh, no, I can't do all that. You see what I'm saying? So, eventually, they're going to have everything connected. And, hey, it's just how it is. So, just take it. As information, acquire it to your life, like I'm always saying, and just see where you fit in at it. See how you can benefit it financially. They have a lot of other things that I'm seeing that I'm searching myself that I'm going to invest because, wow, this is the future. So it's best to tap into it now instead of waiting. Like we, I knew when Facebook was about to go public. I'm telling you guys, they had that rig because I was on that stock has changed every day trying to wait because he wouldn't announce it. Then two days later, they show where they announced it and they had their little part and everything. So, yeah, they had the people, they had their selected people that had their hands to buy all them stocks. So when they went public, they became millionaires that day. Ain't that something? And won't hold it back from small people like us. But that's all right. God say he going to tell us how to dig the treasures of the earth and how it's going to come up. And I'm going to keep digging, and I'm going to keep digging it, and I'm going to get it. I don't care how the devil fights me. He's been fighting me too, y'all. Lord, have mercy, Jesus. But let me get off of this rant. I'm going to share and talk with y'all later. Just click the link. It's about an hour. The document is about an hour. And um, just Professor um, Shoshana, Shoshana Zubort she wrote this book on surveillance capitalism and it's a very interesting uh, documentary because she is exposing the little practical things that we are not paying attention to what google and amazon and china and all these other technologies how they're working together it may seem like they're competitive which they are but yet they are investing in each other back and forth you see we don't know how to do that as a community but they sure do money begot money. All right, that's just how it is. Okay? All right, peace.